Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to this week's episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how was your weekend of hopefully not too much rain? It was actually a very productive weekend. I got most of the stuff on my honeydew list done with hopes that I can do some things that are all about me. Yeah, yeah. Did you end up getting to that point? Yeah, well, I mean, I got I got some shelves put up and painted, took care of a couple other things around the house. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, getting after it in the garage here pretty soon and making some furniture of some kind. Well, you know, that's uh, interesting you say that because for the folks out there who don't know, Matt's quite the avid woodworker. We may have mentioned it on the show before, but Matt, you like to spend some good quality time in the woodworking shop. Actually, why you, what have you built? Because it's actually pretty impressive. I mean, name some of the few things. I think it's worth mentioning. Well, I mean, most of it's like tables and cabinets and stuff like that. The desk that I'm sitting at, I, I built. Right. And, That's uh, impressive. Well, it's uh, so it's one of those motorized standing desks, right? So it's got like the, I bought the stand and then I built the platform. So it's just a big flat piece of wood, really. But yeah. it's very pretty. Nice. But uh, yeah, you know, and then sometimes I'll build smaller things, you know, little gift boxes and stuff like that. The joke I have with my wife is if I'll get, I get her a piece of jewelry and make a nice little box for it and give it to her, I always say, you can never have too many tools or I can't make you nice things. And <laughs> she laughs and lets me continue to do those things. So, right. So if anyone wants to get on Matt's level and they're not quite schooled up on their drilling fluids uh, knowledge, you could always talk to him about woodworking because he loves talking woodworking and baseball. So yes. there's a few angles you can try to get to Matt at and we just released them. So yeah, pretty soft target. <laughs> there you go. Well, look, you know, something that we had touched on earlier in an earlier episode was we talked specifically about a product or, or a material that we known as gilsonite. And it was actually, you know, again, your idea to talk about, hey, let's let's dive into more granular topics with regards to products, because a lot of times products are a mixed bag of things. But a lot of times there's certain names that get thrown around and people may or may not know what those materials inside of a mix of materials actually does. And so the topic we're going to discuss today is surfactants. And I was telling you before we got on, you know, I think people like to throw the name out there. Oh, what kind of wedding agent it is, or what kind of soap is it, or what kind of lube is it? And it's like, oh, surfactant base. And oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, what in the world does that even mean? And so I think it's worth touching on describing it and, and giving an understanding just the different types of surfactants, why they're used and maybe sort of, you know, some of the limitations or, or, or some of the key aspects that, you know, just a, a, in general, we should know about as we move forward. So what do you think? Are you teed up and ready to answer some questions or what? I think I'm teed up. Good, good. Well, if anyone can answer them, I know you can. So first and foremost, Matt, description, define surfactants. What are they? So surfactants, so they are considered surface active agents is sort of where the, where the name comes from. But they, the argument is, you know, if something's oil wet or water wet, think about it, oil and water don't like each other. And if you think about it, let, let's say I put a droplet on a surface, you're going to see what's called a, you know, a contact angle. If they really don't like each other. There's, it's basically going to float on top, right? 
But if they do like each other, it'll smear and spread out. Well, a surfactant can reduce the surface tension where you don't have that droplet anymore and the things will actually mix or it'll reduce the, the contact angle. And normally we measure that, that angle for wettability and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, the, the important thing about surfactants is, as you mentioned, they're thrown around everywhere because they are everywhere. They're in our lubricants, they're in our emulsifiers, wetting agents, defoamers. And a lot of what differentiates a surfactant is basically the, the structure. Because a surfactant on one end has a side that likes water and another side that likes oil. And so we call it, you know, the hydrophilic end and the lipophilic end. And the question is, it's called a hydrophilic lipophilic balance or the, the ratio of these two things in a molecule can tell us what that surfactant is likely to do. So when we go to talk shop with, you know, a vendor or we, you know, even our own surfactant gurus, oh, what's the HLB number of that? What does that mean? And so I thought it would be good to just kind of talk about what a little bit about HLB numbers. And, and I think it sort of explains why these surfactants can sort of overlap in their function and, and that kind of thing. I got you. So let's talk, I mean, so the numbers, I mean, they range, and actually you had sent some notes, at least in the drilling fluids world, they range from basically zero to all the way up to what, 18, or do they go beyond that? It depends on how you're calculating it. They can go as high as 40. Mm. I think 40 is the high. There's, uh, of course, like all things you can get where people argue about, well, actually, so it sort of started out, I think there's a paper from the, the late 40s, where the original HLB or hydrophilic lipophilic balance calculation was 20 times the molecular mass of the hydrophilic portion, the side that likes water, over the total molecular mass. But then somebody said, well, some parts of the molecule really like water and some don't like it as much. And so kind of trying to gauge those extremes, they came up with a different formula, although it sort of lands under the same concept. And really for us, you're right, about zero to 18, zero to 20, that's most of the neighborhood we're going to talk about. And conventionally, when you look at Google surfactants, you'll be able to see what typical values are for different things. Gotcha. So on the higher end of the scale, that would represent more of a hydrophilic sort of water-soluble type, I guess, product or surfactant. On the very top end of the scale, why don't you start there? Then we can move our way down into the water dispersible and then finally into the hydrophobic types or factors. Yeah. So, okay. At the really, really high end, what you have are, are what are called solubilizers. And what that means is if something maybe isn't soluble, sometimes we'll blend two products together. And one of them will have this really high HLB number to help make something that isn't soluble in water soluble. So on its own, it won't go into water. It may only disperse or it may just float on top but I add something with this really extreme HLB value and now it solubilizes. And then we kind of start working our way down the, you know, the values and these, they're not absolutes if you kick out any specific numbers, but, you know, let's say like 12 to 15 or something, you get into detergents. So think about a soap, a, you know, hand soap, detergent, like laundry detergent, where it's water soluble. It, anything that is oil wet, for example, you know, some kind of dirt or whatever that's stuck to your clothes or a stain, it's going to basically try and surround those things and make it all uh, and, and make it come off. And sort of along that same line, you think about direct emulsion as we kind of get lower to the scale where, you know, let's say, I don't know, eight, nine, 10, that's where you get where 
a direct emulsion surfactant puts the oil droplets in the internal phase, right? You know, we talked about how direct emulsion is the opposite of invert emulsion and the oil droplets go in the continuous phase. So that's, that's kind of, you know, those are your predominantly water soluble range of surfactants. Okay. So let's, and you kind of mentioned it, but what products, and I mean, I know it's an obvious question, but if you're on a drilling rig and you're walking around, what kind of products would, be, would sort of be categorized on the higher end? So I think, you know, like your detergents, even some, uh, a lot of your, you know, just like your rig soap, right? The stuff that you try and, if you're drilling through something, yeah, trying to slick up the BHA. Right. So those kinds of things. And then going back, as, as I mentioned, your, your direct emulsion chemistry. So that's, that's sort of the, because these are water soluble, think, you know, things you'd most likely use in a water-based mud. Right. And so with lubricants, surfactants are also in lubricants. Is that correct? Yes. Right. And then obviously for this would be, you know, water-based lubricants, you use a sort of higher end of the scale. And so, or sorry, go ahead. It it can be a bit tricky, right? Because when I'm using a, uh, so a water-based lubricant and many times I'm actually trying to oil wet material, right? Mm -hmm. But I wanted to play nice with water-based mud. And, you know, we, we talked about in a previous episode where lubricants are a little tricky because you test them for all this compatibility stuff, but ultimately they might not behave the way you want them to. Mm. So sometimes, you know, you'll actually be at the mid range of HLB numbers because you want it to give you a little bit of oil wetting, but it's not going to solubilize. It's going to be dispersible in water. If you Uh want something that is water soluble, those stronger surfactants, I think you're kind of alluding to would be on that higher range, but it depends on if there's solids in them. It it depends on a lot of different things. And, And sometimes we even blend two surfactants together to kind of take advantage of, of, both properties. Right. Okay. No, that makes, that makes sense. So then moving on to the lower, the lower number of HLB, we get into the hydrophobic style or the hydrophobic type surfactants. Can you describe sort of what's working on there and maybe some of the products that we'd recognize that on a rig? Yes. So now we're starting to work as we work our way down, think of oil wetting agents, which oil wetting agents and emulsifiers, you know, one one of the tricks is each one offers a little bit of the other, right? This HLB, it's a, it's a blurry line. So, you know, when we talk about a primary emulsifier offering some oil wetting and an oil wetting agent offering some emulsification, that's true because they sort of all play in this range, but it starts out as predominantly an oil wetter, something that is going to oil wet a water wet solid. And then as you work your way down, you're actually going to create an emulsion where you're basically emulsifying brine. So just kind of looking at my table here, you know, seven to nine, you're probably in the neighborhood of a wetting agent, but when you get below seven, you know, three to six is kind of your, this is your water and oil emulsifier. So the opposite direct emulsion, now we're on the invert emulsion. And so you're kind of that range. And then you get down and very lowest part, you're going to get an anti-foaming agent or, you know, basically something that it could be a defoamer, something along those lines. And this is important to keep in mind that, so this is sort of trying to do the opposite of what a surfactant way up high on the scale is doing, which sort of makes sense, right? But it also means that it may undermine what the surfactant that you wanted to do 
it was actually designed to perform, right? So yep. it, sometimes you can over-treat with an anti-foaming agent and create other problems. So it's just something to keep in mind with, with respect to those. And defoamers or anti-foamer, you know, the, the trick there always is when foam's going around, it's flowing over the pits. I don't think anybody's walking around wagging their finger. You're saying, no, be careful how much you add. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to fix an immediate problem. And so it's, there's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, exactly. And so with a lot of products, we talk about the different charges, you know, and some, you know, whether cationic, anionic, you know, cause different, I mean, different products react to different charges. Can you touch a little bit on, on that side of it? And if that is something that's important that it is worth considering, or are they all just kind of have the same type of charge and you, it's one size fits all. So I guess kind of the, the generic vague summary. So you're looking at the hydrophilic end when you're talking about these, which, so the water loving side of a surfactant and you'd say, okay, if it's got a negative charge on that end, it's going to be anionic. It's got a positive charge. It's going to be cationic. And those two don't really play nice with each other. Then amphoteric would be, it's got positive and negative charge. And then non-ionic is, is neutral on the hydrophilic end. And there's just certain implications as far as just the, the general nature of those surfactants with respect to oil and water, water and oil. So some of that, those HLB tre- trends that you're going to see, although some of them can kind of do a little bit of everything. So it's just, but you'll hear that a lot in the, in the conversation as well, because if you know, you know, a cationic and an anionic are, are not going to like each other and you're formulating something that has one or the other, you're probably going to try and keep the same family together as opposed to have one undermine the performance of the other. Okay. No, that, that adds a little bit more and that maybe is getting into the weeds a little bit, but I think it's important to consider. And so the one question I was curious about is with surfactants, are those like naturally occurring or are they done in a lab or can you describe kind of like how these surfactants are made or where they come from? It's a good question just because, you know, actually in the, in the mud schools that we teach customers, uh, we spent a little bit of time talking about that. A lot of this stuff is actually originated from natural sources. So TOFAs are tall oil fatty acids. Those were originally made from like pine resin. And uh, we predominantly make them from hydrocarbon streams today, but our roots are all kind of bio-based in a lot of different surfactants. And in fact, you know, there's obviously a big movement to head that direction. The trick is creating something that is as robust, you know, when you kind of make it in a refinery, you can do some fairly specific things to it. It doesn't have these oxygen groups that cause things to break down. So there's, there's certainly reasons to where the synthetic materials or the crude derived materials make more sense from a performance perspective, but there's obviously a huge drive, you know, to source these greener and that just requires different modifications. Maybe it adds steps to the process, but that's come a long way. I think in the same way that we've talked about base oils and esters, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, you can get them from plants. You can get them from, Crude oil, you know, you can make them a lot of different ways. It just, it comes down to cost and, you know, some of those other factors involved. Well, man, that's about as much surfactant info as I can take for a day. Although, you know, it's good to know what's going into the products and where they come from. Matt, is there any other closing last words you'd like to mention regarding surfactants? I mean, as much as 
like, I think this is interesting information. It's easy to get overwhelmed. I think it's helpful to understand that there's, like you said, you hear this word dropped all the time, but there's a surfactants are in so many of the products we use. And so being aware that's good, but it's also worth understanding that there are companies that all they do, you know, their bread and butter is the nuances of all of this. You know, I'm an engineer, not a chemist. Right. <laughs> there are people with chemistry backgrounds that could talk circles around me about all of the nuances of this. And I think it's just worth knowing that, you know, you can kind of scratch the surface and at least understand what an HLB range is and how one surfactant is different from another, but you are only scratching the surface. It's a whole huge world out there that we don't have time to get into. And I don't know if, I don't know if we'd be able to keep anybody awake if we tried. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said it, not me. And with that being said, everyone, if you do have any questions, please let us know, hit us up on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also reach us at the Flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. And if you have any ideas or questions, I actually had one from a drilling engineer that was, that was pretty, it was good and, and stuff maybe a little bit, at least out of my knowledge range, but uh, with a little research, I'm sure we could tackle it. But with that said, you know, please, we love the engagement and, and uh, don't hesitate to reach out or share a story. If there's an episode that you listen to and you want to supplement any information by what you've experienced out on the rig or in the office, again, it's all about helping each other learn and, and educating the industry. And with that said, everyone be safe out there. Enjoy this nice oil price that we're seeing. Hopefully the, the trend will continue and everyone out there be safe. Thanks again. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.